I told you it was worth it, didn't it? <laughs> I don't know what that is. We'll let it go. <laughs> Long ago, before churches had pulpits and baptistries and pews, she had kitchens and dinner tables. In the days of the New Testament, the primary gathering place church was the home. And it's amazing to see God's plan then and there. The first generation of churchgoers was a powder keg of contrasting cultures and backgrounds. It's estimated at least 15 different nationalities heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost and Jews stood next to Gentiles. When men worshipped with women, there were divides, slaves and masters. And the question then was, can people of such varied backgrounds and cultures get along with each other? The same question is asked today. The same is asked today. Can this group live in peace with that group? Can this section get along with that section? The early church did, and I love our church, because we do. We do. If you have a front door and a table and chairs, bread and meat for sandwiches, congratulations, you have just qualified to serve in the most ancient of ministries, hospitality. So hereby you are ordained to use hospitality. Something holy happens around a dinner table, doesn't it? With friends. It's different than the sanctuary. In the church auditorium, you usually see the back of somebody's head. At a round table, you see the expressions on faces. In the auditorium, one person speaks. Around the table, we all have voice. Church services are on the clock. I'm aware of that. Around the table, there's time to talk. It's no accident that the word hospitality and the word hospital come from the same Latin word. They both lead to the same result, healing. When you open your door to someone, you're sending them a message. You know, you matter to me and to God. You may think you're saying, come over for a visit, but your guest is hearing, I'm worth the effort. Let's pray together. Father, help us to practice hospitality, certainly in your house, where everyone should be welcome. But in our houses, that should be the same. Father, help our love for you to grow wings and have action. Hospitality is just love put to work. And so, Father, thank you for those today who have said hello to us that have grabbed our hand, that have brought out water and done what they could to welcome. We had such a great experience last week with hospitality. Thank you for each one that did so much. And Father, help us to practice that gift wherever we are, to whoever we encounter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you weren't with us last Sunday, it was our homecoming. Third Sunday in August is usually homecoming. And we had 
several hundred people come join us for lunch. And I received several notes in the mail this week saying thank you to those that did everything to get that lunch ready. Those things just don't happen. And people notice things like that. And you did such a wonderful job. Thank you for your service and your hospitality. It certainly makes a difference. We're going to look at a familiar story in the book of Acts, chapter 16, about our missionary friend, Paul. Paul had a vision, we're told. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. Luke, Dr. Luke, writes Acts, so when we hear we, it's Luke. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So you got the picture, a dream, a man, come to Macedonia, let's go. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. We sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized. And she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. You've heard about the Macedonian call perhaps before. This was it. The vision of Paul, the dream of Paul, to come over here. It's important because this is the first time the gospel ever reached Europe. Uh, Macedonia is a territory that you know as Greece today. So this is the good news of Christ spreading, spreading into Europe. And this is the first recorded incident of that encounter. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are the missionaries that we're talking about here. It says that on the Sabbath they went to find a synagogue and only discovered that there's not a synagogue. The Jewish law required for there to be a synagogue, there had to be ten men that would constitute it. They called that a minion. If they had ten of them together, they could have a synagogue but it appears there are not ten God-fearing Jews in the whole city, and there's not one. It's interesting to me, in the dream, there's a man that says, we want you to come to Macedonia, and when he gets there, there's no men. There's a group of women down by the river. So Paul's trained to be a leader among the Jews, and he would have been well acquainted with the Jewish rabbis' view of women at the time or the Pharisees' view. The rabbis were known to say it's better that the words of the law be burned than delivered to a woman. Those aren't my words. I'm just telling you the way. That's the way history was at the time. But Paul, as he grew up in that, has now become a Christian. And he no longer had those prejudices. We don't know how many men, women were there that day at that prayer meeting. 
But we do know about one of them, Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of purple cloth who worshipped God. The rich people in the day wore purple. Remember Proverbs 31, which is describing that hardworking woman and talked about the color that she wore? It was purple. It was a status thing. They used to extract purple dye drop by drop from a little shellfish called the murex. And they would have to catch a lot of these shellfish and squeeze them to get the purple dye out of them so you could have clothes. That's how people could make a living. And it would take a lot of squashed shellfish to get, I don't want to get too technical with it, but you had to, you had to break some eggs to get some purple there. And so the, the super rich people would have purple. And so Lydia was in business and probably did pretty well that she could afford to pay the people to do this and to sell the clothing, which was hot. She probably was doing well. And she was the one that the Lord had in mind for Paul's first convert in Europe. And it's very important. And we talked about this last week. We don't believe in coincidence, do we? We believe in God's divine guidance and intervention. And so God leads Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke all the way to this riverbank. And at the riverbank happens to be a woman named Lydia. And it's God just pulling strings. What's her gift? And why is it so important for Lydia to be there to change the world? Look at verse 15 of Acts 16. She and her household were baptized. You see this again in a few minutes when the jailers, remember Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your family. When she believed, her family believed, they didn't have a choice. Did you grow up in a house like that? Some of us did. She and her household were baptized. If mama's going to believe, the rest of us are going to believe too. That's the way it worked. Mamas can change the world. And she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And then Luke says something very subtle and very kind, but you know these kinds of people. And she urged us until we agreed. <laughs> you know what Luke is saying, don't you? You know anybody like that? Got any in your family? That resistance is futile? There's no way to say no. I don't want any more food. Well, here, you're going to have that anyway. <laughs> you know the kind of people. Lydia was one of those kinds of gals. She urged us until we agreed. Other versions say she constrained us. She constrained us. The word constrain is an interesting word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. It's a forceful word. The only other place is when Jesus was walking with the two companions and two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says they kept constraining him, same word, to come to their house and abide with him. So it's a forceful, you don't have a choice in the politest kind of way. You are coming to my house. And they did. She really laid it on. Her gift was hospitality. And they went. And God told a woman with the gift of hospitality to begin his work in Europe. What can God do with you 
man or a woman, wherever you live, to start some kind of wonderful work. You never know. But we're reading true history here. Let's pick up the story at verse 25. So, after they had gone to visit Lydia, and let me tell you a little background here. They were preaching around Philippi, and Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. There was a possessed woman who was making money for her master, the fortune teller. You remember that story? So they cast the demon out, and the woman couldn't tell fortunes, and her master lost his money, and they had him beat and thrown into jail. So now Paul and Silas are in jail, and we'll pick up the story at verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. It's not a coincidence that they're in jail. Sometimes when bad things happen to us, it's not a coincidence. God's using that. And the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. And all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself, or they'd have killed him for having an escaped convict, so he was going to do it first. Paul shouted to him, hey, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I need what you have. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of night, the jailer called for them and washed their wounds. Then he had everyone in his household. They were immediately baptized. Somehow I think Lydia got involved in this, don't you? Somehow I think she was there. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said you and Silas are free to leave, go in peace. But Paul replied, they've publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And by the way, we're Roman citizens. And everybody held their breath in because they really went way beyond what they should have done. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the officials were alarmed to were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so they came to the jail and apologized. Then they brought them out and they begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, look what they did. They returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more, and then they left town. I wonder who those believers are, don't you? We know it's Lydia's family. When Mama got it, they got it too. But don't you bet it was neighbors? Don't you bet it was people from the village? Don't you think maybe the jailer was there and his family because they came to faith too? And so what is happening is a church is breaking out of Lydia's house. And her hospitality changed the world. Am I exaggerating? I don't think so. Hospitality changes the world. We all have our stories, don't we? 
someone welcoming us, someone loving us, someone being good to us, helping us through our lives. Let me read to you an email I received this week. A little background if you're visiting with us today. We had a grandfather from India come because he had a grandson being born just down the road. Bob and Jan Nash happened to be neighbors of the son and his wife. Jan, I got this right so far. And they invited Mr. Seringi, who's a Hindu, to come to our church. And I've used Mr. Seringi as um, motivation to those that should all be here on Wednesday night because he was here on Wednesday night and I thought if a Hindu can come, a Baptist ought to be able to anyway. <laughs> I heard from Mr. Seringi this week. Pastor David. At the outset, I was sorry for my long silence. In fact, that was out of a series of issues which had cropped up during my long absence in my home city, Babanaswar, when I was in the States. I may be excused for that delay. I very often remember all your love, affection, and care for me and for my family during my stay in your city of joy. Now stop right there. When's the last time you got on 285 and described Atlanta as a city of joy? But you so impressed a Hindu gentleman that he describes Sandy Springs as a city of joy. Those beautiful moments have become unforgettable memories of my life. More particularly, I'm indebted to your ministry's prayer for the well-being of the believers and for me in particular. In fact, with you, I grew stronger with the spirit and goodness of the Lord. I renewed my quest for a visit to India with Jeannie and some of your friends. I assure you a comfortable stay. On receipt of consent, I'll prepare an itinerary accordingly. He's got the gift of hospitality. He wants to show it back to me. You'll be happy to know I religiously read that our daily bread daily and get enriched with the life-changed and changing wisdom of the Bible. I subscribe to it through online for the next quarter. Please convey my best wishes in regards to Bob and Jan and Barry and Cherise and Ralph and Wimberth and Sonia Westbrook and the parents of Cherise, etc. All of your memories are as green as a perennial grass of the city of Atlanta. <laughs> my daughter-in-law, Sunita's parents, are reaching Atlanta on the 2nd of September for their turn of stay for another spell of four months. So now the daughter's parents are coming for four months. I'm glad that's not an American tradition, but anyway. <laughs> Mr. Siraj, the dad of Sunita, had also expressed his desire of attending the church prayer during his stay in Atlanta. I hope he'll be a good company to you. He's also a believer. I'm happy to let you know that I began attending weekly prayers in the Baptist church and Babanaswar regularly and get spiritual solace there. I've thought of writing separately to Bob and Barry and Cherise. With deep regards to you and your lady, please continue to pray for my family among other prayers in the prayer bulletin. I remain praise, praise the Lord. Sincerely yours, S.N. Serenity. Does it matter? Your hospitality has changed the world. Now you need to do it again. 